0: Right, we are looking at uh, Romans chapter 5. And tonight we're going to look at verses uh, 15 to 17, Romans uh, chapter 5. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man... How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if, by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. All right, Romans 5, 15-17. Now this chapter is gaining momentum. And it's becoming more lucid and fascinating. And you will notice that uh, the words before our text are very fascinating and perplexing. Adam was a pattern of the one to come. Okay, verse 14. In other words, he is saying, Adam was a type of Jesus Christ. And some of you have come to me and you've said, well, what does that mean? How can that be? You've long understood (coughs) Noah's Ark to be a pattern of the Messiah. The scapegoat to be a pattern of Christ. The burnt offering. The cities of refuge. The paschal lamb. The tabernacle. The boy Isaac taken by his father to be laid on the altar and sacrificed. Jonah being spewed out of the whale's belly on the third day to complete his mission. David destroying Goliath. Rahab's red thread in the wall of of Jericho. All these, and there are many more, aren't they? Are patterns of Jesus Christ in his death and in his victory. But Adam... How is he the type, the prototype of Christ? Well, it is certainly true what I said when somebody asked me that uh, they are both federal heads. Or the great company of people. They are the giants and all mankind is connected by threads to the belt of the one or the belt of the other. Those who are in Adam die because Adam's sin is imputed to them. Those who are in Christ live because his righteousness and all the benefits of it are imputed to them. And you know when I read to you tonight Ephesians 1, I tried to emphasize in Christ, in Christ, in him the blessings that you enjoy as a believer have come to you because of your union with Christ. Just as it is not at root, the personal sinning of those who are in Adam that brought upon them condemnation. You follow me? It's not because of bad things they did that the condemnation of Adam came upon them. So it is not because of the personal goodness of anybody here or any Christian, any time, that brought the blessings of Jesus Christ and his righteousness upon us. We can dismiss both of those, and in that way, the one is the type of the other. The point of the saying here that Adam is a pattern of Christ is to proclaim the total contrast between the two of them. The justification comes not on the ground of our obedience, but on the ground of Christ's obedient life. And that we are in Him, our head. We were through His life and on the cross and in the tomb and raised with Him and ascended with Him. We are in Christ and the blessings that come to us come to us because we're joined to Jesus Christ. We're in union with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's the parallel in Adam, in Christ. John Stott makes Interesting comments. Um, he says, Paul has called Adam a type, a prototype of Christ. And no sooner has he made that uh, statement than he's a little ashamed, embarrassed by the anomaly. The impropriety of comparing a sinner, Adam, to the holy, harmless, undefiled Jesus Christ. To be sure, there's that superficial similarity that I spoke about. That each of them, through an action that they performed, had enormous consequences for the people that are joined to them. Two men two deeds two frozen moments in time with two far reaching results flowing across the generations and effective here tonight for all of us people you see are always saying oh say something relevant in in your preaching now <laughs> say something relevant What could be more relevant than to know, to discover tonight, that I am either in Adam or I am in Christ, that there's no third option. I'm in the one or the other. This congregation divides around that. Each of those two men lit the touch paper and set off a chain of events that affect us all today. Right. Right the end of the similarities between the two how can the lord of glory be likened to a man of shame how can the savior be likened to the sinner the giver of life to the broker of death so the correspondence between the two is not a parallel The correspondence between these two, Christ and Adam, is an antithesis. How utterly different is the first Adam from the last Adam? So, before returning then to that one solitary similarity between them, which he's going to do then in verses 18, 19, 20, and 21 he sets about in the passage of Scripture that I've read to you, which is the one we're going to study tonight, that he sets before us in, in these three or four verses the dissimilarities between the two. That's what our passage is all about. The superiority of the Lord Jesus' federal headship to Adam's federal headship. It's as if Paul is saying, well, now I've said this, I mean, I blurted it out. But we know the Holy Spirit helped him to do that. Um, I've said it, that um, uh, Adam is a type of, uh, of Christ. I better make this clear. And explain to them the ways in which Adam is different to Jesus Christ. That's our theme. Two men. Uh, they are the respective heads of two ages to eons. And Adam is the head of the old eon, the age of death. And Christ is the head of the new eon, the age of life. And Paul tells us then in these three verses, there are three ways in which Adam isn't like Christ at all. In which Christ is far, far greater than Adam. That The covenant of grace stands much more gloriously and enduringly than the covenant of works. The structure of these verses then, I'm talking about 15, 16, and 17 that I read out to you, is quite simple. The apostle is saying that Christ's gift is either unlike Adam's trespass, or that it is much more powerful and effective. ...than what Adam did. The differences are firstly... ...in verse 15... ...the totally contrary nature... ...of the two actions... ...what Adam did and what Christ did. That's the first thing. Difference then in their natures. And secondly... ...they are different in the immediate results... ...of what their two actions achieved... And that's verse sixteen. Uh, and then, thirdly, the ultimate effects of the two actions, verse 70. Well, no. Well, that's the sort of direction you you'll be with me. And when uh, it, it gets, I don't make it lucid enough or I apply it clearly enough, and you drift along. Come back then in your thinking, and I'll and catch me up because that's how we're going through these three verses. The uh, contrary, total. Contrary difference between Adam and Christ. So, firstly, then, um, we're going to talk about how Christ's acts of grace overflowed to many. All right. Verse 15. Follow. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. So he's very simple then, isn't he? He's, this is very simple. He's conscious of the uh, the slaves in the congregation and the old men and women there and uh, the many illiterates in the congregation and rough soldiers there and the children that are there in the congregation. and So he makes it... to. Uh, it's so simple he says to them the gift is not like the trespass well whoever thought uh, that it was your birthday is not like the day you have to appear in court to hear your sentence for stealing on your birthday you get gifts the day you appear in court to be sentenced you get justice you get a sentence in prison There couldn't be a greater contrast than your birthday and you get up early in the morning and you wonder uh, what your best friend has given you and what mum and dad have given you. It's a happy day. But oh, the day of sentence, the day of having to stand before the judge and hear how long you've got to be incarcerated. They're different. The gift is not like the trespass. Here are two other contrasts. In Bethlehem... All the angels of heaven gathered. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest on earth. Peace, goodwill towards men. Bethlehem carpeted with angels. All singing the praises of God. There's another day. The same angels were involved with flaming swords. And they flashed every way to confirm the sentence that was passed on Adam get out of the garden. I won't allow you to come back and eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The the tree of life, I mean, again. Jesus is the gift of life. Adam is the defiant rebel against God. There was one way for many to fall and that was in Adam. Adam. When they were joined to him, there was one way for many to be saved. In Christ, in him, there is the trespass. That's the word that's used. It means to go beyond the border. You trespass when you sneak into a person's room in your house or in your your hall of residence. And you take something. You break a rule deliberately. All right, um, you're familiar with this. The men are familiar with this. That uh, there's been uh, a free kick. There's been a foul. And the uh, uh, referee brings uh, uh, a spray out of his pocket. And he draws a line. And all the men on the opposing team defending the goal have to stand behind the line. If they try to cheat, then... Uh, they get a yellow card they mustn't trespass across that line now in the garden of Eden God put a line as it were around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and he said to Adam no trespasses no coming across and taking from this fruit oh yes said Adam just you watch me and he deliberately crossed the line the trespass came out of sheer lust for power and knowledge and pride. The second Adam, oh, he wasn't like that at all and aren't we so glad. The second Adam then gave himself for others. It was totally for others. He died because if the wages of sin is death, you look for sin in Jesus You examine his whole life, his thought life, his affectionate life, his emotional life, his sins of omission. None. None at all. So, if he has to die, it's for others. It's not for himself. It's God's gift. It is grace that the pardon of God should come to us through this way. It is amazing grace when you consider the sheer number of those that receive the pardon. They are like the sands on the seashore. How many grains of sand are there on Aberystwyth Beach? Just an incalculable number. All of God's people are like that. All ransomed, all healed, all restored, all forgiven all washed whiter than snow, all clothed in the righteousness of God, all of them adopted into the family of God, all of them joined to Jesus Christ forever. And that is what Paul is speaking of in this uh, particular verse where he talks about grace overflowing to many. And God pours his grace upon us. It's not like... um, a tap where the washer ha- has started to non-function. And so every minute one drip drips into the sink. That's not like the grace of God. It's a gushing hydrant. It's a Niagara of grace. It pours sparkling, fresh grace from heaven upon multitudes of people all over the world minute by minute century after century we could understand if, if God had seen man fall and then God had said ok you've got to work harder then alright you've got to work harder I'm going to make it tougher for you um, you've got to live a righteous life and uh, then if you did that I could allocate you a rank a place In heaven. Or he says. um, uh, Purgatory first. Invent this place. And. uh, For a hundred years. Maybe a thousand years. You've got to be purged. In that darkness. Until finally you're ready. And then. Having done all of that. You'll be ready for heaven. Now all the world understands that religion. Everybody. That's. The common man's religion. That's work's religion. That's getting what we've worked for. What we deserve. The gift of God is not like that at all. It couldn't be more different than that. It's a day of full pardon. Of free pardon. Of superabundant forgiveness. Which reserves immediately in heaven a place. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. It's the reality that there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. In other words, what Paul is saying is that the judgment that came upon man is nothing surprising at all. All the world, those three terrorists that mercilessly killed men and and women and children this past week in Paris, And evil men like them, poisoners and rapists and torturers and assassins, without exception, they're going to be judged by God. They're going to answer to God for what they've done. That's not a shock, is it? God is holy and God is righteous and God is straight and God is just. And so his universal judgments are warranted by, by who he is, what his life is, and his response in shock and shame and grief to the things that you and I see that cause us to groan. But he's, he's there. He doesn't see it as we do through the flickering images of a TV screen. He sees the evil. So there is nothing unusual at all about the news that... Uh, It's appointed unto man to die, and after death is the judgment. There is nobody here tonight who, if his thoughts were secretly portrayed on a screen, and we saw what he was thinking, that he wouldn't deserve to be hung ten times. There is nothing surprising about the condemnation of the place of woe for men and women who've done such evils. That they could go in and just shoot people they'd never met before and kill them so cruelly. Not an eyebrow is raised when Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that he's the great shepherd and he's going to gather all the world before him. And as a farmer separates the goats from the sheep, so he's going to separate in that great day his own people, from the people on whom his judgment is going to fall. It's fair. It's deserved. It's warranted. We live in a moral universe. But salvation, the redemption of a single solitary sinner has to be a gratuitous event. It's an undeserved event It's an unearned event, it's a surprising event, it's amazing, the grace of God, and when we're told the fact that not just a few lucky people have got it, but billions and billions, sons on the seashore numbers, have all received this full forgiveness and all are destined to spend then eternity in the presence of God. Well, it takes your breath away. It gives us hope that I I could be there too with them. Now, that's totally opposite from the way that the people in the streets of Aberystwyth think, or the students think, in our day, they think of uh, God's forgiveness as their entitlement. Yes. That's what God does. That's his job. He forgives our sins. And they're offended to think that he might not pardon them. They think that a single person separated from God and kept for all eternity away from God questions the nature and character of God. His justice, his love, his goodness. My apostle, he doesn't think like that. Jesus didn't think like that, did he? They saw it the other way around. Because of Adam's transgressions, sins come into the world. Sin in your heart, sin in your motives, sin in your desires, sin in your omissions, sin in your actions. That's your condition. Because of Adam's transgressions, many then, deservedly died. But when Christ died, many, many, many received the amazing, the illimitable, the glorious grace and pardon and mercy of God. Paul isn't saying in the text before us that uh, what was lost through Adam is regained by Christ. He's saying much more than that. He's saying there's no comparison between the righteous condemnation which came on all those in Adam and the blessings that every believer has now that he's in Christ. It's an escalating contrast we have here. Many receive the just judgment of death because they're in Adam. All who receive received the superabundance of God's grace in Jesus Christ are going to be amazed. When we see Jesus, when we see an innumerable company of angels, when we see all those that have gone before us we've known and admired and loved and heard of, and there they are transformed into the likeness of, of Christ. And when we feel and know that we ourselves are being changed. And that the trouble of sin and uh, its temptation and the way it pulls us down again and again. Our breath will be taken away. At the wonder of it all, we were the prodigal sons. And we are the ones then that uh, took and grabbed all that we had from a father's hard work and went and splurged it all on wine women's song until we had nothing and no friends and then in our hunger we thought my father's servants are doing better than I I'm going to go I'm going to return I'm going to return to my father And say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight I'm not worthy to be called thy son and make me as one of thy hired servants. He'll be there waiting. He'll cut down that speech with his hugs and his tears will clean my dirty face and the best robe and the best sandals will be given to me and the fatted calf will be killed and there'll be joy and sonship restored after what I did. Because that's the grace of God in Jesus Christ. It's not that what Adam lost I gain. But I gain an infinite measure more. When I see him I'm like my Savior Jesus Christ. That's the greatest news. It's the greatest news of you, for you who are still in Adam. Come out from Adam now. Cut the links that join you to Adam. And be grafted in to Jesus Christ. That's the contrast then that he is telling us here one sin brought about the consequences of of universal death and that death a justified death a just punishment and then the righteous and loving obedience of The Lamb of God led to torrents, overflowing Niagara's of grace and pardon and mercy that flooded down from heaven. Every part of the world for 2,000 years, God has been doing it. Undeserved, unwarranted, unasked for, undescribed by us, but suddenly we see what God has given us. Adam's sin was to think he knew better than God. And that he could work it out, that he could defy him, he could believe the serpent's lies and be like God. And Jesus' righteousness was a life that uh, always did what was pleasing to God. Not in some namby-pamby way, but he worked it out from his heart and from his soul in every relationship with his brothers and sisters and his mother and and, uh, her husband. He always did what was pleasing to God. He grew in favor with wisdom. In wisdom. And in favor with God and man. He did that. We are now clothed in that righteousness. The righteousness of a trillion thoughts. And desires and emotions. And actions and words and omissions. Which he worked out day by day, and fulfilled all righteousness. And that's, that's ours. Bold shall I stand in that great day, for who are to my charge, shall they? Why is he bold? Well, because he's clothed in Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's why. So, for Paul, it's quite understandable that people should uh, face up to what lies before them. If they go on defying God all through their lives, that's it. The punishment will fit the life that they have lived. But the marvel of God's grace, who can explain it? There's no warrant for God. To clothe us in the righteousness of Christ and make us heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. There's nobody here who's saying, Well, you know, I'm a bit different from the rest of the people in the congregation. I'm rather special and uh, I've lived a good and decent life and I'm not afraid of meeting my Maker. You can't say that. You go there as a humble sinner before God. If you and I are going to complain about the actions of God, well then, here is something to complain about. God doesn't treat you as you deserve. He treats you wonderfully and gloriously and breathtakingly. He imputes eternal righteousness to you and He makes you His child. And he loves you with the same love wherewith he loves his son, Jesus Christ. If you're going to whinge, then you ought to whinge at that. Say, God let somebody like me into his heaven. That's how great God's salvation is. And so this is what he says in this 15th verse. If... The many died by the trespass of the one man. How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow. Overflow. It just swamped us with its wonder. And that's the longer section. But let me go on then to the second verse, verse 16. That the gift of God brought justification to many, he says here. Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. You would think, oh, well, Paul has said it all now in that 15th verse. But Paul hasn't finished. In the 16th verse, how many sins did Adam have to commit in order to bring condemnation to the world just one that's all it took one sin of defiance and the light of righteousness in the human race went out all over creation one man one sin and darkness and death spread through the whole world Right. that's one side of the ledger now, there's the other side of the ledger. How many sins were forgiven by the death of Christ? Many trespasses. It's here in our text. In other words, it's many verses one. Here are two very different things. First, he speaks of God's gift. God so loved the world that he gave his Son and he gave his Spirit and he gives eternal life. The gift is the grace of God. What a gift. And Paul says that's totally unlike the result of Adam's sin. Adam's sin was death and condemnation. That's not like the gift of God at all. God's judgment is righteous. is something we deserve. God's grace. Oh, it's utterly free. It's totally undeserving. G-R-A-C-E Great riches at Christ's expense. What the Lord Jesus did made him then a far greater federal head than Adam. Jesus' acts of righteousness were provoked by many sins that had to be dealt with. Sin had become a great war separating God from us. What Adam did, he did by his own choice and his own fault and it affected all of us and the whole world ever since. But ah, the one man, Christ Jesus, he punched a hole in the wall of sin and God came through it. God was reconciled to us. God came to us as a loving father. He came to us in the gospel. He came to us in the office of mercy in Jesus Christ. What the one God man Jesus did was to pay the price for a groaning cosmos from Eden till the end of the world. Oh, the power there is in the blood of Christ, it's far greater than anything that Adam ever did. Well, it's very uncomplicated, it's very lucid. Paul is looking at these people in the Roman church and he wants them to understand it. He's been contrasting God's justice and God's grace. And you know, when the Holy Spirit begins to work in your heart and life, when you start feeling convicted about your behavior and the sin of unbelief and the sins of omission, then you start to ask, How can I be forgiven? How can I be pardoned? How can I receive God's grace? You see, the mercy of God is never deserved. Mercy is what we plead when we've got no other arguments. When the case has been laid before us, line upon line, precept upon precept, and we've seen how badly we've behaved. And so we can't say anything except, I wish it wasn't me. And when we have nothing else to plead, all we can do is cast ourselves on the mercy of God. The publican in the temple, he didn't have any other argument at all. All he could say was, God be merciful to me, a sinner. The world says he was as guilty as hell. I'm saying to you, we haven't contributed anything to receiving forgiveness from God except our sins and God has contributed his son and his death on the cross his precious blood his pardon the gift of eternal life now in this verse then Paul focuses on what Adam's sin has done it's led to death for all but the covenant of grace then oh many sins have been covered by one man's righteousness. So he's saying, race wide implications came from the defiance of Adam, the human race. It was all involved in Adam and his fall, and it's come upon them all. They've been corrupted, they deserve justice, but now, many, many, many inequities. Many, many, many. And that's, I could say many, many for the next minute. And that's an understatement. It's a hyperbole. They were all covered. Every one of them. By Jesus Christ. There was this Everest range of mountainous sins. And the divine bulldozer from heaven came. And he just cleared them all away. The whole Himalayan range of our sins. All cleared. All dealt with by Jesus Christ. God's gift followed many trespasses and it brought justification. Being declared righteous by God. So the second verse is saying that the defiance of Adam. His deliberately breaking the rules that God had given to him. It led then to man's just judgment and to condemnation and alienation. We're living now east of Eden. But the many trespasses of all who believe in Christ, the many, many trespasses are all forgiven. They're justified. They're acquitted. They're pardoned through the free grace of Jesus Christ. You know, you've got friends and their lives are in such muddles. Their lives are really shambles. They sinned themselves and brought trouble on their own heads. They sinned against somebody else. And the apostle is saying, it's a staggering thing. I look at what the grace of God has done to you people in Rome. You soldiers, how you've lived in the past. The evil, evil things you've done. His grace, The grace of God coming to you, coming, coming through your breastplate and into your heart and changing you and making you holy and different and loving and forgiving and gentle men and women. You think of Adam everywhere Adam went. Adam lived till he was nine hundred, and he had many children and many many grandchildren and many, many, many great-grandchildren and great-great-great-grandchildren. He lived on. Everywhere he went for 900 years then. People pointed him out to other people and say, his fault. He did it. He defied God. He brought judgment upon us. It's all because of him. He messed up and we're picking up the pieces Paul says, that's true. But let me tell you another truth. Say a generation is uh, 40 years now. and There's been 50 generations from the time of Christ until ourselves. And there have been believers through all those 40 generations. They've done shameful things too. They've done silly things, mean things. They've hurt people that love them. Again and again. Bad people. But they, they looked to Jesus Christ. All of them. Multitudes upon multitudes. And they looked to him and they said, Please forgive. Please pardon my sins. I've made a mess of my life. And God wipes the slate clean. God makes our scarlet sins as white as snow he acquits us before the courts of heaven he is faithful and just to forgive us because he's condemned those sins in the blessed Lamb of God Paul says that's the wonderful surprise You want to find something to be surprised about? Well, don't be surprised about the terrible cruelties you saw and heard in Paris last week and what ISIS have done last year. But be surprised at this, that the holy, mighty creator of heaven and earth forgives the most wretched and hell-deserving man or woman that this world has ever seen he says come and he gives them rest and then the third and the last thing that we have in verse 17 the gift of Christ brings the reign of life to many verse 17 now if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man how much more how much much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness will they reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now there's another difference then between what Adam in the covenant of works did and what Jesus in the covenant of grace has done. One man's sin led to the reign of death. He could have turned to death and said, I'm not going to die. Not me. Death in his black robe and with a scythe in his hands. Well, you better reconsider it. Death reigned. Everywhere in the world. He might live for 900 years because the effects of the fall weren't yet registered in the lives of those early patriarchs. But in the end, death. Death came to him too. That's our heritage. That's why newspapers never reprint an obituary column. Because new people die every day. Every day there's a new list. And there are people who are phoned and they are are asked, Can you write an obituary now on this famous person? We hear he's very ill. What keeps the crematorium in business? Why are the undertakers still having a good job? Why did Llambadon Cemetery fill up five years ago and a new cemetery on the hill open up, which now is growing and growing? Why is it that they never run out of customers? Well, because death reigns in the fallen world. That's our heritage. Last Thursday, chapel was full, not upstairs, but the chapel was full because there was a funeral service that I was asked to take. People were dressed so nicely and were so respectful and sober and the coffin came in and it stayed here during the service. The people think one day I'll be in a coffin dead because it is appointed unto men once to die and after death the judgment. The hearse that came from the lady who was buried will come one day for me. And it doesn't matter if you're very important or you're a brilliant doctor or you can have the best medical service in all the world, die, you are going to do. In this world, as a result of Adam's sin, death reigns. Sometimes there'll be an account in the newspaper of your life like we read Fred Catherwood's obituary, a famous uh, politician and uh, a Christian. We read that with interest. There'll be a little account in some local paper or in some chapel news coverage of the fact that we are sad to announce that so and so has died. Next time you see a hearse you remember, death reigns. Next time you drive to Clarach and you go down the hill there and you pass the crematorium, you think, death reigns. When you go past a, a cemetery, you say to yourself, death reigns. But that's just one part of the story. I don't need to remind you of that. I don't need to excessively remind you of that, but I do need to remind you of Christ's reign. That there's a way to overcome the reign of death. And he says, to those who received the abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness. And that's what justification is. It's the the gift of righteousness. You had lovely gifts over Christmas. And I heard the boys, the little boys talking to one another. What was your best gift? Um, They were saying on Last Sunday, what was your best gift? This is the best gift. It's the gift of righteousness. And the best giver is our loving Heavenly Father. And He gives the righteousness of Jesus Christ to all who go just as they are and fall into His loving arms. And they reign in life. On the one hand, death reigns. Those who are in Adam. On the other hand, those in Christ reign they all things are theirs, this world and the world to come. God is their God, eternity is their eternity, forgiveness is their, forgiveness. God takes slaves and makes them kings. What Christ did is far greater than. What Adam did. Greater in its nature, greater in its power, greater in its impact, in its effect, forever and ever. So, that's how he ends these three verses. The death of the man Christ Jesus uh, has released us from having to obey the law of sin and death. We don't have to. We're freed from worrying about that. The day That we're going to die has been appointed by God. It will be the best day. And what will lie before us is the beginning of an endless life in his presence. Fullness of joy at his right hand. Pleasures forevermore. God reigns over us and takes us to the place where we shall be kings and priests and prophets with God forever and ever. The superabundance of the grace of God. Here's a woman. And Jesus has to meet her. Because he has good news to tell her. And it's in a place called Sakhar. Which sounds like Lacher, doesn't it? Sachar in uh, Samaria. And he goes at a time of the day when only she's there. Only she's there because if she goes at any other time, the women talk about her. And snigger at her. And show their contempt for her. So she's there. And suddenly she's standing before the King of Kings. Suddenly she's standing before the water of life. And her whole life changes from meeting Jesus. The mighty grace of Jesus Christ takes over She came for water and she went away with the well. (laughs) She goes back to her little town and her little house, and everyone is talking about her. What happened to her? She's changed. What's happened to her? She's got religion. Well, I tell you what happened to her. Grace transferred her from being in Adam to being in Christ. Grace brought her into God's kingdom. And it's unbelievable. It reverses generations of patterns of, of perplexity and excuses. It changes all that. Here was Paul and he was a Christian hunter. And he held the cloaks when Stephen was stoned to death and he saw them arrested and beaten and imprisoned and killed. And then that nasty life The life of an assassin that we've been confronted with now. And a million people walked in Paris today to show their hatred of that kind of life. But they don't know. They don't know how that life can be changed. But the Gospel tells us how. When Christ becomes our God and our forgiver and our pardoner And our blessed one who blesses us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Maybe you need tonight to be surprised all over again at the wonder of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. What he did for you when he saved you and what he will yet do for you and that you'll fall in love with Jesus all over again. Let's pray. My Heavenly Father, thank you for putting many, many sinners in Christ, joining us to Him. His life and His graces become ours. And His uh, finished work covers all our unfinished sinning. Thank you, Lord, for the abundance of pardon. Thank you. Oh, for saving people who don't deserve it and wish they felt so much more religious and trusting and Christian than they are. Thank you that you come to ordinary people whose faith seems as thin as a spider's thread and as light as a mustard seed, but it's, it's in Christ. Oh, blessed Christ, our Saviour, to bless your word to us with saving power tonight. For Jesus' sake, amen.